mean, we take prayer seriously here. I mean, we've given the whole month of May and, and call in it Pray May, and we, we really want to pray, and we want to do that as a body. We want to do it individually, and so uh, it's, just, it's just who we are. It's how this church was built 18 and a half years ago, 19 years ago. Um, I tell you that, say you were handed one of these cards when you walked in, and um, you got something near and dear to your heart that you say, hey, I'd love for somebody to pray. We take this seriously. You just fill that out, drop it in one of the black boxes, and, and we're going to pray for you. We'll, 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 we will do that. We really want to, to partner with you in prayer. So if you've got something, it'd be great. Just put it in the black box, and we'll make sure to, to join with you in prayer. Um, in light of the, the last couple of weeks, I mean, obviously, I'm reminded of God's character and and I'm reminded that he is in control. I'm, I'm reminded of all of these amazing truths about God. I'm also reminded that, that the love of God is needed now more than ever, maybe, right? Or at least I feel that way. I got to think about the grace of God. And, and there's this truth, this truth of the fact that God's grace can touch and permeate the deepest and the darkest evil spots. Well, I just want to make sure we're, we're all hearing this. Like, there is no evil that is too far from God's grace. Like, there is, there's, no, there's no wickedness or sin that God's grace can't cover. And I just, when, I, when I'm reminded of just how gracious God is. Uh, just imagining just the fact that, man, there's, there's nothing too hard. No, no war, no racial divide, no, no murder that, man, his grace can't touch in and redeem. Um, the hard part about when I say that is, is this. It means that grace, um, grace being God's unmerited favor. God's, God's generous love toward us, his gift to us that, that I did nothing to earn, that makes it really unfair. It makes it really unfair. And so today, as we think about the grace of God, we're going we're gonna to think about the fact that it, it's, it's not fair. From, from our perspective, from a, a human lens, it, it, it doesn't line up. It doesn't add up. It, we, want, we want fairness and justice. We want all of that. But man, when it comes to God's grace, it's just not fair. And that may rub you wrong up front. And my hope is by the end of the, the sermon today and before we walk up here and take this bread and juice and remember the sacrifice, I hope you're saying, thank you, Jesus, that grace isn't fair. I really hope that's what we're saying here in a moment. Um, the disciples had a hard time with this. They had a really difficult time trying to figure out the grace of God. Um, there was a guy, a young man, he was very wealthy. He came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, um, what does it take to have eternal life? How do I get salvation? How, how would I do this? And Jesus looked at him, and after going back and forth with some questions, the, the guy, uh, Jesus looked at the guy and said, you got to sell everything you have because you, you're too focused on your money and your possessions. you got to sell it all and follow me. And the guy walked away dejected. He goes, there's no way I could do that. Well, the disciples were listening, and they thought, oh, we got it in the bag. They thought, man, Jesus, how great of a reward are we going to get because we've left everything to follow you? 
We left our nets on the, on the shoreline. We left our family. Like, it's going to be great for us. Look how much we have earned. Look how much we have, have, have merited. Look at us. It's going to be great for us. And Jesus hears this, and he says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. There's a story about a guy who was a farmer of a vineyard, and he needed some people to work it. So he got up really early in the morning, and he hired some laborers. And he, he found some guys about 6 o'clock in the morning, and he said, here's the deal. I'm going to pay, pay you a fair day's wage if you'll work my vineyard for me. They said, you got it. So he takes them to the vineyard. They take off working. About 9 o'clock in the morning, he finds some other guys that are willing to work, and he says, will you come work in the vineyard? And they say, you bet. About noon, he does the same thing. Three o'clock in the afternoon, he does the same thing. Five o'clock in the afternoon, in the late, you know, early evening, he does the exact same thing. The dinner bell rings at six o'clock. And all of those people who've been working, some since six, some since nine, some since noon, three and five, they all line up, starting with the five o'clockers first. They're going to get paid just like you would at the end of a day. And so the guy who's working at five o'clock, he hands out, holds out his hand, and the, the farmer gives him a full day's wage. Next guy who'd been working since 3 o'clock, he gets a full day's wage. Noon, full day's wage. 9 o'clock, full day's wage. The guys who'd been working all day since 6 o'clock in the morning, they thought, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. We're going to get more than anyone else because we've been working hard. We've been getting after it. They get through there and they get a full day's wage. And they're mad. What do you mean? We've been out in the hot sun slaving away for you and this guy's only been working an hour and he gets a full day's wage? To which the owner of the vineyard says, are you jealous about how I distribute my generosity? Can I not distribute it as I see fit? And then Jesus ends that story with, the last will be first and the first will be last. Just ain't fair, is it? It's not fair. So when we, we look at this, to, we've been in the story of David, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Um, last week, we saw the lowest of low. He he takes a woman that's not his own, forcefully, that's rape, murders her husband. The week before that was the highest of high as he kills this nine-foot-tall giant and rescues Israel. But now he's at this lowest of low, and, and it, it looks like he's going to get away with it. He's lied, he's murdered, he's, he's used his entitlement to, to take whatever he wants. And, and now here's King David at this low spot, and here's the spoiler, you ready? He's going to be forgiven. Well, that ain't fair. I mean, a, a guy who rapes a woman, a guy who sends her husband out to the front line and then presses the battle, not only does Uriah die, the man, but other men have to die to cover this thing. That ain't fair. David's just going to get off. Scott free, forgiven. Let's, let's take a look at it. It ought, to, it ought to bring some tension in us. 2 Samuel, starting in verse 12, there's about a year's gap between 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12 with the, 
the whole Bathsheba incident. Bathsheba has now had David's child, and it seems like everything's been swept under the rug. No one's been caught. No, no one's been, been brought before a trial. It just seems like everything's going fine. And then you get chapter 12, verse 1, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan's a prophet, and Nathan and David have a good relationship. So Nathan is going to be sent by God to go to David and say, hey, you're not getting away with it. Like, we found you out. And when you first read that, you're thinking, this is good news because there's no way somebody who has done all the evil and all the wickedness that David has done is going to get away with it. He ought to be found out. He ought to be punished. He ought to get what he deserves. Right? Right? He ought to get what he deserves. So The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor, and the rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. Nathan, and being a smart guy, decides, I'm going to go before the king, and I'm going to have to confront him about this sin in his life. And in order to do that, I'm going to tell a story first. And if I can get David to identify with the story, maybe then I can turn the tables and and say, hey, this is you kind of a deal. Like, there's a sermon in and of itself on how to confront people. I don't have time to preach that one, but this this is really good. So he says there's these two guys, one's really rich, and he's got a bunch of sheep and cattle. There's a poor guy, and he had to, he's got one little ewe lamb, and he had to scrape up everything he had to buy the ewe lamb. That's the story so far. He goes on, and he says in the middle of verse 3, he raised it, and it grew up living with him and his children. Now, you can imagine if you got a little ewe lamb, and it's being raised with some children, then that little ewe lamb's going to have a what? It's going to have a name. We're going to now all of a sudden have a name here. It's not in the scripture. I don't know what you'd call it. Maybe, like for me, I'm not kind of a cruel type. I would have called it Lega, like Lega Lamb or, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know, Cotton Ball. We're going to call him Wooly. We're going to call him Wooly. Wooly special sheep here. We got a little Wooly. He's raising up. The kids have named it, and it says this. This Wooly shared his meager food and drank from his cup, and it slept in his arms. There's Wooly. Here, you want some crumbs off my plate? Have them. You want to drink out of my cup? Fine. You want to sleep in the bed? I'm going to snuggle you. You got your full coat of wool. Let's go. Wooly is a part of the family. Matter of fact, it says that. It says he was, it was like a daughter to him. Verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. So a guy's got a visitor coming from a long way off. He knows I want to be hospitable, so I'm going to, I want to throw a feast. Let's, let's kill a lamb. Let's kill a, a cow. Let's do something and have a big party. But you know what? I don't want to use my stuff. I don't want to use my lamb. I don't want to use my livestock for this. Let me do something different. And so what does he do? Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. Took little Wooly, yanked it from this man's home, yanked it from his table, his bed, his children, and said, we're going to cook little Wooly up for this traveler that really came to visit me. Now, how does this story make you feel right now? 
you're mad. And not only are you mad, but David, who's listening to this story, he gets mad, and so it works exactly like Nathan hoped it would. It works exactly like he hoped he would. Verse 5, David was infuriated with the man. He was infuriated. He's mad. Why would this guy do this? He's got all of these sheep, all of this cattle, all of this riches, and he takes from somebody who can't have or doesn't have to feed this traveler that came to see him. He's infuriated. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. I love it. Because David is saying this, we're going to throw the book at him. We're going to throw the book at him. He shouldn't have done this. Not only that, he deserves to die. The little word deserves there, I'm not sure which translation you're reading. It's kind of got all kinds of things because it's, a, it's an idiom. The, the word is actually son of death. In English, it'd be like dead man walking. He has earned it. He's a dead man walking. That's what David says. Because he did this. He deserves death. Then he goes on. Verse 6, because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. He is going to make this right, and it's not just going to be one lamb for one lamb. It's going to be four for one. David is going to be fair and just, and he's going to give this man what he deserves. And at this point, we're all saying what? That a boy, David. Give him what he deserves. That's what he deserves. Until, Nathan says, Nathan replied to David, verse 7, you are the man. You're the man. You're the man that's done this. You're the man who's taken from somebody. You're the man who had everything at his disposal and decided you want some, wanted something that wasn't yours. You wanted to be entitled. You thought you deserved it. And you went after Bathsheba and you took her forcefully. And now you got a child and to cover it up, you killed a man and some other man's hand, blood is on your hands. And so here's the deal. You're the man. Now, this is what gets interesting. When you're the man, do you want the book thrown at you? When you're the man, do you want the book thrown at you? Well, man, watch this. God's fixing to speak. You ready for this? All of us who love justice, fairness, look at what God's fixing to do. It says, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Well, when God starts talking like that, that gets you a little nervous, doesn't it? I gave you everything, man. I gave you everything. I protected you from the man who wanted to kill you. I gave you the kingship. You had houses and wives, and it just wasn't enough. All you had to do was ask. I would have given. I, I would have given. Can you imagine God saying that? I, I had you. I had you. Then he goes on. 
Verse 9. Why then have you despised the, despised the command of the Lord by doing what I consider evil? How could you do this sin? How could you do this wickedness? And then watch this. I, I just want you to think about this. God is fixing to tell David what he did. Can you imagine God speaking your sin back to you? That's what he says. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. You didn't even have the guts to do it yourself. You had some Gentiles do it. Can you imagine? Some of us are like, get him. Get him, God. He deserves it. He's a rapist. He's a murderer. Get him. Get him. He goes on. He says in verse 10, Now therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despise me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. He says it again. It's like, okay, I get it. He says you're going to have violence in your house the rest of your days. Verse 11. Ooh, this is where it starts getting rough. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them publicly. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all of Israel in broad daylight. At that point, I'm like, okay, God, enough is enough, right? That's a bit much. That whole eye for eye thing, maybe we don't need eye for eye. Maybe we don't need wife for wife, blood for blood. Anybody else feeling a little icky about that? That's too much. Like, we want justice. We want what you deserve until you start seeing it, and you're like, oh, uh, maybe not. Mercy. Yeah, a little mercy. Show a little lenience. A little mercy. Right? Verse 11, or excuse me, verse, uh, verse 13. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And what else do you say after that? What else do you say? I don't know. I don't know how the conversation went. I don't know if the minute Nathan said, you're the man, if David's posture just crumpled, head went down, as he listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And then when he finally, Nathan finally took a breath, and David just says, man, I, I've sinned against God. I don't know if there's a relief because now he's not having to keep something hidden that he's been trying to hide for a year. There's a part of me that wonders if there's relief there. There's a part of me that wonders if, yeah, that's me. I notice about this, he doesn't say, but, 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 but. Wait, wait, wait. wait. There's, there's no, let me try to justify it. Let me try to explain it. It's just, I sinned against the Lord. And it almost feels like this. Everything I got coming, I deserve. Just hanging it, I'm ready. Finish it. Finish it. Now, if you know your Old Testament law, you know this. There is no sacrifice for rape. There is no sacrifice for murder. The judgment for it is to be taken out into public 
and stoned to death. That would be the book being thrown at you. That's condemnation. It's condemnation. Remember the story where Jesus has brought a lady caught in adultery and they said, let's stone her. Remember that story? He who's without sin cast the first stone. Remember that? that? That's the law we're talking about here. So he hangs his head. He says, Lord, I've sinned against you. And it's almost like he's ready for the next statement, which is this. Nathan replied to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. The Lord has taken away your sin. That ain't fair. That ain't fair. Just taken away? Look at the next part. You will not die. They're not going to run you out there and stone you to death. I'm taking away your sin. It's crazy to think about, isn't it? Goes on, verse 14, however, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. And then Nathan went home. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? It's hard to imagine God just looks at a man who'd done all of this evil and all of this wickedness and just sit back and say, I've taken away your sin. You're not going to die. It's crazy. The grace of God is so unfair that it does not give us what we rightfully deserve. Are you glad God's grace is unfair? Are you glad it's unfair? Or would you like the book thrown at you? It's just unfair. And God looks at it and says, I'm not going to hold it against you, and you're not going to die. Because that is what sin does. It condemns us to death. The minute Adam and Eve took of that fruit in the Garden of, uh, of, of, of Eden, God looked at him and said, if you do it, you're going to die. There it is, condemnation to death. The, the wages of sin, the earning of sin is death. But the gift of God, grace, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is grace. He says, this is what you deserve, but this is what you'll get. And some of you would sit back and say, well, whoa, 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 Russell, wait. Look at all that bad stuff that's happening to David. His sons are going to rebel against him and fight and take his wives. And I don't know. Let me, let me be real clear here. Sometimes we get the idea of condemnation and consequences of sin confused. Some of us think the condemnation for sin and the consequences of sin are the same thing. They are not. God sometimes will take away the consequences of sin, but for the most part, we're stuck in those. The consequences of sin could be woundedness, it could be broken relationships, it could be hurt, it could be pain, it could be all kinds of things. And my guess is there's not a person in the room right now that's not saying, I'm paying for something. Consequence of sin from something I did 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 24 hours ago. No, no, no. Consequence is one thing. Condemnation is another 
that God's grace says, I am not going to condemn you to be separated from me forever if you will embrace my grace. That is amazing, isn't it? So unfair. And I am so glad it is unfair. Some of you might think, nah, put my stuff on the scale. I think I'll be all right. I'm going to tell you where I'm at. I don't want the book thrown at me. I don't want it thrown at me. I, I, I want to embrace the grace of God as I can. You say, well, why would he do this? How, how in the world can God's grace just be given to David? And, and I would say this. I think God's grace has been, been offered to all of us. I think his grace has been offered to all of us, especially now because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This idea that, that we no longer are under condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there's this idea that if I put my faith and trust in what Jesus Christ accomplished, that I, I am not condemned. I can embrace his grace. And I want you to embrace that grace. For those of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're, you're still feeling the guilt and the pain and the shame of unconfessed, unrepentant sin, then God's grace is still open for you as well. It's still unfair, but he wants you to have it. He wants you to have it. The, the only reason I know, the only reason I know that David when he hung his head and said, Lord, I have sinned against you, the only reason I know that it was with a humble and contrite and a repentant heart is because we have two psalms that show his mind when this was happening. Psalm 51, which I'm not going to read today, and Psalm 32. Let me show you Psalm 32, just to show you the heart. And then for those of you who say, I want to be out from under condemnation. I want to be out from the condemnation of sin. Let me show you how. Psalm 32, this is attributed to David. I'm going to read it quickly, and then I'm going to give us a chance to respond. David says this, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not uh, charge with sin, in whose spirit is no deceit, my sin, my iniquity, my transgression, forgiveness, it's happiness, it's peace, it's joy. He says, that's what I'm at. Look at this. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. Long before Nathan ever told that story about Wooly, and then said, you're the man, David's heart was saying, you're the man. For a year, it was saying, you're the man. For a year, the guilt was saying, you're the man. For a year, the shame was saying, you're the man. And for a year, David just said, no, 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 no. Man, our conscience is a gift of God. It is a gift from God. And some of us have seared our conscience. Some of us have shipwrecked our conscience. Some of us have just ignored it all together. But man, listen, God gives us that to show us our way back to him. It's one of his many gifts to us. And here's David saying, I was just sitting under the weight of it. 
Look at verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, with the help of Nathan, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. For those of us who have never put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've never embraced that the, the free gift of grace that happens through his death, burial, and resurrection. It is the deal to say, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I deserve to be separated from you, but I'd love your free gift of grace. That's so unfair. Please. And for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ and are living in sin right now that's unacknowledged and unconfessed, the exact same thing goes for us. I, I acknowledge that I am sinning against you. What does acknowledgement mean? I think acknowledgement means more than just say, I'm a sinner. I think acknowledgement means David says, I'm a rapist. I murdered Uriah. I think it's, I'm a gossip. I lie. I cheat. I steal. I, I, I think acknowledgement of sin is, I'm no longer trying to cover this up. I'm no longer trying to hide it. I'm no longer playing a game. I'm no longer trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. Here I am. I acknowledge it. And this is probably the hardest part because now at this point, you recognize I'm in need of leniency. I need someone to show me grace because soon as it comes out of my mouth that I'm a dreadful sinner, everyone wants to throw the book at me. And if you'll just acknowledge your sin and acknowledge who you are truthfully before God, it's an opportunity for forgiveness and grace. He says, I, I won't acknowledge my, I, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I confess my transgressions to the Lord and you took away the guilt of my sin. He didn't say I took away the consequences. He just said you took away the guilt. Do you want that? Man, it, it, is the secret just too much to bear? Is it? My favorite part, he says, I'll skip down, he says this. Um, verse 9, do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near to you. This is the part that breaks my heart because this is me. God is saying, here's grace, here's my son Jesus, and I got all fours doing this. And the only way I can be drug there is when somebody puts a bit in my mouth and drags me. Is that you? And God's grace is just here and we're fighting it. We're fighting against peace. We're fighting against freedom. We're fighting against joy. We're fighting against it. It's like we don't want this unfair grace. How do we not want it? There's something so deep inside of us that says, I don't need it. Oh, we need it. We need it. Uh, I'll, I'll close with a, with a story. Uh, 20, 20, 20 plus years ago, I was sitting in um, a class at Dallas Theological Seminary. Some of you may have heard this story. I'm sitting there as a class called Spiritual Formation. 
It's a little weird that you have to have a spiritual formation at a, a class at a place like seminary, but that's just because there's a difference between head knowledge about God and heart knowledge about God. And um, we spend a lot of time there learning it here, but spiritual formation was to help us learn it here. Dr. Ralston was the professor and um, great guy that I remember going to the first class and he hands out the syllabus and he goes, hey, fellas, this is how it's going to work. You guys can contract for your own grade. Just figure out what you want to do and what you want to make and, and that'll be the grade you get. And so to contract for it, he said, hey, if you want an A, you're going to read this, these books, you're going to do these papers, you're going to do an A-level work, and if you do that, you'll get an A. And if you want a B, you'll only read these books and do these papers and, and you do it at B-level work, you'll get a B. And the list went on and on and on. And I decided because I had more important classes to do, I was contracting for the B. I'm just going to take a B, make it happen, go on. Some of you are looking down at me for that. Fine, I can take it. I can take it. First week of class, no kidding, I'm sitting up here, and it, and it was in a little auditorium-shaped deal, probably 60, 70 folks in the class. It was one of those that everyone had to take. Uh, we get there, and, and toward the end of that first week, he's passing back papers. Now, because I contracted for the B, this was one of those papers that I didn't get back. And so they pass around, people are looking at their grades, and, and all of that was fine and good. And, and I'm sitting back, and like, no sweat, right? I know what I'm doing. I got the next one. And so everything was fine. And then Dr. Ralston said, I'm going to give us a pop quiz. Pop quiz. Everybody get out a piece of paper. I need you to write these four statements down. So I wrote my name and my box number on there, and I wrote these four statements. Statement number one is, no, I won't take it. No, I won't take it. Statement number two was, no, I won't take it, and I don't think it's fair. Third statement, yes, I'll take it. Fourth statement, yes, I'll take it. Please do this again. He puts those four things on the, the board, and uh, you know, remember those uh, overhead projectors? He's writing it down on that. He says, I want you to, only thing I want you to do on your paper right now is circle which one you want. One two, three, or four, and this is what you're responding to. I'm going to give everybody in the class an A on that paper, whether you did it or not. Before I could take the next breath, I had four circled. <laughs> yes, I'll take it. Please do this again. I can't turn it in fast enough, right? Let's go. This is great. I'm going to get an A in this class. I didn't even contract for one. Greatest thing ever. About four rows down, there's a young lady. You know the type. <clears throat> Boy, she is hot. You can see the steam coming off of her. She can't sit still. She starts verbalizing. This isn't fair. I worked hard. I put in, and you're just going to, I mean, like, she can't even finish sentences. I'm, I'm, and at that point, I'm like, hey, zip it. <laughs> Dude, I'm getting an A on this. Man, wait, don't ruin it for everybody, you curve blower, Right? I mean, good grief. I mean, she just can't stand it. And, and Dr. Ralston's trying to just, hey, just, just circle what you want. Well, number two, I, this ain't fair. And she hands it in, to which we get all the papers. He holds them, and he just says, hey, what I did for you is what we call grace. It's just grace. And um, how do we respond to it? Man, you could have heard a pin drop heard a pin drop. And I try not to look at that young lady because I was Roman sixing it. Keep on sinning so that grace may abound. You know that one? 
So I had no righteousness of my own at that point, right? Because the only right answer to grace is which one? Yes, I'll take it. Yes, I'll take it. Some of us are saying no. You might be saying no for whatever reason. Some of us are like, this ain't fair. You know all the good I've done? I've not done half the bad things they've done. Some of us are, yes, I'll take it, and let's keep on going so that grace may abound. And that, that makes grace petty, doesn't it? The only right answer is, I'll take it. And when we take it, you recognize it is completely and totally unfair that God would send his son to die in our place to forgive us of our sin that we deserve to die for and we can spend eternity with him. That's not fair. Hallelujah, it's not fair. <laughs> right? It's not fair. So as we do every week, these communion tables are in the back and in the front. Um, and boy, if there's ever a day you look at those and say, it ain't fair, this is the day. If there's ever a Sunday before we just waltz up here and take this, maybe, maybe this is the week that we acknowledge our sin and we confess our sin before we make the journey up here. Right? This is, this is what allows us to experience the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And it, it's unfair. In the next few moments, um, team's going to come out and sing this song. I just want to give you a heads up on the lyrics. It says this. Will your grace run out? If I let you down, because all I know is how to run, the answer is no. Because I'm a sinner, and if it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, I'm tangled in lies, but you are a savior, and you take my brokenness aside, and you can make it beautiful. You can make it beautiful. That's what we're praying that God does in our lives, and in Uvalde, and in Buffalo, in every other place where brokenness and evil is, that he would make it beautiful by his grace. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, uh, I just confess that there's some times I really think I've earned something from you. There's some times that I, I think that You'd be honored to have me. <laughs> but Lord, I am a, I'm a sinner. I am, I am unrighteous, full of iniquity, wickedness. Um, and that, Lord, you would, you would desire to be in relationship with me is beyond anything that I can fathom. So, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us and providing a way for us. So, Lord, I pray right now for 
for all of us that if there's someone in the room that has never experienced that freedom, that they would, they would say, I want, I want that. I don't want to be condemned. That they would cry out to you and say, I confess it. I need you. Pray for those that might be just, we're just hiding it. And we're crushed under the weight of it. And I, I just pray that we would be able to confess. Confess it, acknowledge it, turn from it. Your word says, if we, can, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I, I pray that we would do that. Yeah. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for your son, Jesus.